Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, third hour of the program, ready to go. The phone number, if you want to be a part of it, 877-973-7425. You know what? I'm going to start with a phone call because I suspect there's going to be a good point out of it from Tim. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Good. I just listen to your show and everywhere you hear on Fox, on news talking about the bipartisan bill for the infrastructure. Well, you know, why aren't y'all talking about that Pelosi in the House blocked Trump for two years trying to pass it? I mean, this isn't something new. It's something they've been working on. Maybe maybe a few different things, but I mean, hell, they blocked the last president trying to pass infrastructure bill. That's a good point. Uh, and it, it, it is a reminder of just how cynical the situation is in Washington, D.C. The number of people who refuse to acknowledge that uh, a lot of what's in the infrastructure bill, and frankly, the, the reason it was able to pass with Republican support is because they incorporate a lot of things the Democrats blocked when Trump was there. So both sides do it. You know, it's like, for example, Tim, the last week the Democrats, while trying to kill the filibuster to pass the voting rights measures they want, used the filibuster to stop Ted Cruz from imposing sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, something the measure had passed the House uh, or had the votes to pass the House, was going to pass the Senate, and Joe Biden got them to filibuster it to block it at the same time they wanted to kill it it's uh hypocrisy is a double standard uh, and it is one deployed often to ridicule republicans while they give democrats a pass on it and you will note very few media outlets even noted that the democrats used the filibuster to stop this jake tapper at cnn one of the few people at cnn to point it out to point out the hypocrisy there Absolutely, utterly absurd uh, that this is what we're left with as they accuse you of being a racist and anti-American if you oppose the voting rights measure. Now, they're headed to other dangerous ground as well. I assume you have heard of the Overton window. The Overton window is... Well, it's a, uh, I guess, you philosophical rhetorical tool where you repeatedly say extreme things to try to shift the supposed Overton window in your favor. The Overton window is sets the boundaries of what is acceptable discourse in public. Things that get in the window and things that, that can't get through the window. And your goal as a as a partisan is to shift the Overton window in your direction. For years and years and years, one of the great famous examples of this was Jesse Helms. Jesse Helms would stand on the floor of the United States Senate. He was a senator from, from North Carolina. He hated the Russians, the Soviets. He wanted war on the Soviet Union. He wanted all-out war on the Soviet Union. They're the evil empire. We need to annihilate them. And it was well outside the Overton window. It was outside the acceptable bounds of discussion. No one wanted nuclear war with the Soviet Union except Jesse Helms. But in so doing, Jesse Helms made other extreme views, or at the time perceived extreme views, be more reasonable, like Ronald Reagan. 
Instead of going to a containment policy, Ronald Reagan wanted to come up with an economic means to end the Soviet Union. So nuclear war was out, but finally it was acceptable to discuss ending the Soviet Union, finding strategies not just to contain them, but to repel them out of Central and South America and other parts of the world. For the longest time, Democrats led by Jimmy Carter and others uh, advocated a containment solution, a detente solution. We'll just let them spread everywhere. We'll spread everywhere. We'll contain each other. Reagan came about thanks to Jesse Helms advocating nuclear war. So look, we don't want nuclear war, but we do want to come up with ways to end their influence in the world and get them out of the Western Hemisphere. The Overton window shifts. Things that were not reasonable suddenly are. It was not reasonable 10 years ago to think about boys becoming girls and competing in girls' sports when they weren't very good on the boys' team. And now suddenly, if you don't like them doing it, you're a bigot. Do you know that guy who's on the the swim team that everybody's been railing about said he's the Jackie Robinson of trans athletes? That's, That's what he has said. He got beaten by a girl who's transitioning to become a boy from the Yale team. I just find find that fascinatingly funny. Well, here's part of the Overton window. Joe Matthews, the San Francisco Chronicle, trying to shift the conversation where the Democrats have subtly been trying to shift it for some time. This is the opening sentence. If California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children. Yeah, you heard me. I'll read it again. If California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children. Today's Californians often hold up equity, the goal of a just society completely free from bias is our greatest value. Governor Gavin Newsom makes decisions through an equity lens. Institutions from dance ensembles to tech companies have publicly pledged themselves to equity, but their promises are no match for the power of parents. Fathers and mothers with greater wealth and education are more likely to transfer these advantages to their children, compounding privilege over generations. As a result, children of less advantaged parents face an uphill struggle. Social mobility has stalled and democracy has been corrupted. More Californians are abandoning the dream. A recent Public Policy Institute of California poll found declining belief in the notion that you can get ahead through hard work. My solution, making raising your own children illegal, is simple. And while we wait for the legislation to pass, we can act now. The poor and the rich should trade kids, and homeowners should swap children with their homeless neighbors. Now, I recognize that some naysayers will dismiss this a policy is ghastly, even totalitarian. But my proposal is quite modest, a fusion of traditional philosophy and today's most common political obsessions. In his Republic, Plato adopted Socrates' sage advice that children be possessed in common so that no parent will know his own offspring or any child his parent in order to defeat nepotism and create citizens loyal not to their sons, but to society. Today, a policy of universal orphanhood aligns with powerful social trends that point to less interest in family. Californians are slower to marry, and are having fewer children. Our birth rate is at an all-time low. My proposal also should be politically unifying, fitting hand-in-glove with the most cherished policies of progressives and Trumpians alike. 
I'm not sure that he's being serious. But I suspect he is. And there are others who have gone on to defend his position, believe it or not. He, however, is an outlier, as are they. But I would remind you all that in the 2012 Democratic Convention for the renomination of Barack Obama, that's the the Democratic Convention where they booed the inclusion of God in the platform, they also voted on the phrase and put it in their, their video promotion that the state is the only institution to which we all belong. And it does take a village to raise children. You have MSNBC, including Joy Reid at MSNBC, has advocated the idea that parents just raise children on behalf of the state. You see where this is headed. Now, at the same time and less noticed, the New York Times had a story about moms abandoning kids and they wanted to repackage it as a good thing. Amanda Hess writing this. There are so many ways to do motherhood wrong or so a mother is told. She can be overbearing or remote. She can smother or neglect. She can mother in such a specifically bad way that she is assigned a bad mom archetype. Stage mother, refrigerator mother, cool mom. She can hover like a helicopter mother or bully like a bulldozer mother. But the thing she cannot do, the thing that is so taboo it rivals actually murdering her offspring is leave. The mother who abandons her children haunts our family narratives. She's made into a lurid tabloid figure, an exotic exception to the common deadbeat father. Or she is sketched into the background of a plot, her absence lending a protagonist a propulsive origin story. This figure arouses our ridicule. Consider Meryl Streep's daffy American president and don't look up who forgets to save her son as she flees the apocalypse. Or our pity, see Parallel Mothers, where an actress has ditched her daughter for lousy television parts. But lately, the vanishing mother has provoked a fresh response. Respect. Respect. That's right. That's right. Suddenly respectful. You know, boys sometimes have mom issues. But it is well known that girls can have daddy issues. When a father abandons a family, all hell can break loose. I know a family of five kids, and the father died unexpectedly in a tragedy. And it destroyed that family, not having the dad there. He was the glue that held the family together. It's more common for a man to abandon the family than a woman, but it can happen. And we should be repulsed by the idea 
that we're now finding respect for mothers who do it. But this is where we are. On the coasts, at the same, basically the same day these two pieces came out. One piece at the San Francisco Chronicle saying that uh, we should make parents give up their children. Universal orphanage, universal orphanhood should be our policy and let other people raise the kids on behalf of the state so that they know what the state wants them to know. And then the other side of the country on the same day, we should give moms who walk out on their family respect. You should give no parent who walks out on their family, whether it's the father or the mother, any respect at all. They're a terrible human being. Selfish. In the garden, God creates Adam and Eve and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Didn't go so well when their one kid kills the other. And they have another larger family over time. Raising kids is not easy. But the family, historically, is the chief unit for society. And it fosters stability in society. And I don't think it's a coincidence at all that these two stories of we should show respect to moms who abandon their kids and we should be giving up our kids to other people to raise on behalf of the state. I don't think it's a coincidence that both stories are coming out at a time. There's more and more research showing during COVID, parents realized that having one work and one stay home is actually good for the whole family. Makes it easier on the whole family that it's better for the kids, whether it's the mother or the father. In most cases, it winds up being the mom, but in not all cases. But it's better on the whole family to have somebody stay home. I just don't think it is a coincidence that these stories are coming out at a time that more and more people have realized the traditional nuclear structure of the family is the most stable way to grow a society and raise a family. And the progressives out there are like, no, stop it. Stop it. Don't go back to that. Stop it. They're trying to bully and will you not to do what you know in your heart is the right thing to do, which all the studies show is right. But do you know there's other polling out there that's just as problematic? Ten years ago, 65% of self-described conservatives say that a, a two people who have children out of wedlock should get married. You know what the number is today? 41% of self-described conservatives. As I always say, know when you're in the minority, even when you're right. Those of us who recognize the best way to raise children and foster a productive, healthy society, we're in the minority. It doesn't help that you got major institutions on the coast belittling and degrading family. Yet again, the war on family is real. And why? See, it's not COVID policy by which they wish to control you. It's the collapse of your family with society around you, government itself having to intervene to pick up the pieces. That's how they want to control us. They can't really control you when you have a well-put-together family of children and parents who trust each other and love each other. Only when they break that apart can others control you. And that is exactly what they want to do. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets. And yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad. But yes, 
I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bridge. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's Branch. B-O-L-L, A-N-D branch.com promo code Eric E-R-I-C-K. Phone number is 877-973-7425. 877-973-7425. You have probably heard by now if you're online, if you're buzzing about it, if you've seen it, it's it's definitely hit the wires. Nina Totenberg of NPR is out with some pretty wild claims, including that Chief Justice John Roberts asked every member of the Supreme Court to wear masks at court because Sonia Sotomayor is not in good health and has very bad diabetes and was very concerned. And all of the justices wore masks except Neil Gorsuch, who sits next to Sonia Sotomayor. Consequently, Sonia Sotomayor had to stay home and be on the phone. That's Nina Totenberg's story. She's at National Public Radio. Nina Totenberg uh, has always been a pretty progressive partisan uh, and defender of the left on the courts and is, is not, I don't think, telling the truth here. She may believe she's telling you the truth, but I actually know a number of people who are very well connected to the Supreme Court, highly connected to the Supreme Court, uh, so connected to the Supreme Court, you might say they sit on the United States Supreme Court. They say it's not true. And yet she's running with it. Uh, She also claims that uh, that, uh, Sam Alito thought that he should be the chief justice and has had a beef with John Roberts ever since. This, by the way, is categorically not true. This is flat out not true. Uh, Nina Totenberg is stirring the pot against conservatives, and because she's Nina Totenberg at NPR, members of the press are taking her as gospel truth. By the way, you know, random trivia, you know who Nina Totenberg is? Those of you in Georgia, have you ever heard of Amy Totenberg? Amy Totenberg is a federal judge appointed by Barack Obama. She has heard a lot of the major voting cases in Georgia. She's the one who heard all the cases about the electronic voting in Georgia. Uh, She's the one who let Stacey Abrams uh, get her case settled with the state of Georgia and has given Stacey Abrams a few wins here and there in federal court on voting rights. Amy Totenberg is Nina Totenberg's sister. Yes, they're both progressives, both of the left. And Nina is using her position at NPR where she's highly respected in the press corps, claims to have all sorts of sources. She's using it to smear Neil Gorsuch, and I am told highly reliably by highly placed sources at the Supreme Court that it's not true. But what does the left care? 
when they can advance a story that slights the character of someone they dislike. So just be careful when you hear the story today that it doesn't appear to be true, but she's convinced it is. Now, when we come back, we have to talk about squirrels, the real kind of squirrels. Scientists are increasingly concerned about squirrels' white privilege, and I'm not making that up. Hi there. It's Eric Erickson here. Phone number, you want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There is a serious danger lurking out in nature. It is one that could undermine and destabilize the planet. And thankfully, the New York Times is on to it. Animals, it has been discovered, have too much privilege, white privilege, no less. Researchers say the human concepts of intergenerational wealth and inequality are useful in studying animal behavior. Ah, yes, here we go. Some North American red squirrels are born with a silver spoon in their mouths. They live in pine forests where the adults defend caches of food. Without a cache of their own, many baby squirrels won't survive the winter. But each year, some squirrel mothers abandon their territory, bequeathing all their food to one or more babies who stay behind. These young squirrels are much more likely to survive until the spring. Aha! Mother abandonment is a good thing! Across the animal kingdom, there are other examples of species that share resources such as territory, tools, and shelter between generations. In a paper published last month in Behavioral Ecology, a trio of researchers argue that we should call this phenomenon the same thing we call it in humans, intergenerational wealth. These young pine cone rich squirrels, the scientists say, are children of privilege. When George Orwell wrote in Animal Farm that some animals were more equal than others, he was trying to shed light on the human ideological conflicts of the time. The researchers hope to use the analogy in the opposite direction. Applying a human lens, they say, could help us understand the roots of inequality in animals. Jennifer Smith a behavioral ecologist at Mills College in Oakland, California, said the idea for the paper arose early in the pandemic. In conversations, she and colleagues at the University of California, Los Angeles, Dr. Barbara Natterson-Horowitz and Michael Alfaro had over, of course, Zoom calls. They saw how COVID-19 was highlighting health disparities and other inequalities around the world, the scientists began to wonder if they could learn more about inequality by studying it in animals. When we started looking for it, of course they found what they were looking for. <laughs> Young red grouses are more likely to succeed in establishing their own territories when their fathers and other kin are nearby. Hyena daughters born to high-ranking mothers inherit their status and get dibs on fresh meat. Some chimpanzees and capuchin monkeys crack nuts using stone tools that their parents used. Animal wealth 
may be passed down to non-relatives too, as in paper wasps that take over shared nests or hermit crabs that seek better real estate. To study wealth transfers between animals, scientists can ask concrete questions. Does a lizard that lives with its parents survive longer? Does a monkey with access to larger nut-cracking rocks, ooh, that sounds painful, go on to have more children and grandchildren? Not with nut-cracking rocks, they don't. Biologists can explore animal privilege without tackling all of the topics, cultural complexities in humans. And most importantly, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? We're gonna have we're gonna have democratic socialists of the animal kingdom. They're gonna riot the rat from Disney World. He's gonna get many in protest. Oh my goodness gracious! Hang on, it gets better. Siobhan Madison, an evolutionary anthropologist at the University of New Mexico, who studies inequality in animal society, has also been thinking that combining the anthropology of privilege with animal biology has potential. Humans are animals, after all, she said. We are undoubtedly influenced by some of the same things that drive inequality in other animals. That doesn't mean animals can answer every question about inequality arising in humans. Humans are vastly more cooperative than most other species. Our cultural institutions can reinforce inequality, but they can also fight against it. The way those animals can't. So wait just one damn minute. If we are all animals, and so all animals engage in inequality, why is it bad? Hmm? If it's part of the animal kingdom and it's natural in nature, then is it really bad? I mean, if the squirrel does it, and the crab does it, and the chimpanzee does it, why shouldn't we do it? Why? Unless there's some moral code that applies to humans that doesn't apply to the seagull, what would it be? What what would the moral code, where would it come from? If we are just animals and the animal kingdom has this inequality too, if parents help children with intergenerational wealth transfers of pine cones and rocks and we do it too and we're just animals, why is it wrong for people to do it? I mean, they think it's bad. It gives the hermit crab a competitive advantage against other hermit crabs. When hermit crab granddad wills his shell to hermit crab grandson. When the squirrel mom abandons the nest and leaves behind all the acorns for the baby. It's good, apparently. You see what I'm getting at here? They're subtly suggesting there's something more with humanity then with animals, they're finding the inequality. And what actually is it? 
Well, at a time that the left wants to tear down family institutions, it turns out that in animal societies, families matter there as well. And it's not so much accumulated wealth. It is the survival of the fittest. It is the survival of the family structure. It is the survival of stability. It is a natural phenomenon. Although Dr. Smith is primarily hoping that insights from animals can teach her more about inequality in animals, insights from humans can teach her more about inequality in animals, she does think the science could work in the opposite direction too. Some of the rules scientists discover in animals might apply to humans. She stresses, though, that finding inequality in nature isn't the same as justifying it. Her research could be misinterpreted as saying, well, it exists everywhere, so we can do nothing about it. Unlike other animals, we're able to understand the phenomenon and then explicitly act to choose how we use the knowledge to create social change. But why would we want to create that social change? What in us suggests that we have to be different from all the other animals in God's creation? They can't answer that question. They don't want to answer that question because it has to presume that there's a moral code. We're either just like the animals or we're not. And if we're not, why not? We're animals after all. They concede we're animals. And they concede that the behavior we engage in is the behavior the animal kingdom itself engages in. Parents providing for their kids. The wealth transfer of generations, the privilege of having a stay-at-home squirrel mom who then abandons the nest so you can get all of our acorns. The chimpanzee with the giant nut crushers has more families. Oh, the jokes write themselves, people. But isn't this an acknowledgement that we have a moral code that they don't? And if we do, who sets that moral code? Is it the mob? Is it God? Who is the great says who? Who gets to say this is bad? This is wrong. We should change. And is it bad? If everybody else does it in the animal kingdom, is it bad for us to do it? And in some contexts, no, it's really not. Providing for your family isn't a bad thing, but somehow these scientists think it is. Now, there's a larger issue here. I could spend a lot of time on this, but there's actually a bigger issue here. The politicization and philosophizing and the sociological exploration of the sciences. Boys, biologically, cannot become girls. Biologically, you have chromosomes and they determine whether you are male or female. Now, there are some exceptions. There are some biological mutations where you have an intersex person. But by and large, if you have an X and an X, you're a girl. And if you have an X and a Y, you're a boy. Now, some have extra sets of chromosomes and it can mess things up. You can have XXXY, XXXX, XYXX, and XYXY. And it, it causes issues. But we're talking about normal. And normal is XX and XY. And you're a boy or you're a girl. If you're a boy, you're an XY. If you're a girl, you're an XX. That is settled biological science. There's no dispute 
anywhere, except when people start dragging their politics and their philosophies in. I want to go back to the key paragraph from Jennifer Smith of Mills College in Oakland, California. When we started looking for inequality in animals, we found lots and lots of examples. When you started looking for what you presumed to exist, guess what? You found it. And you looked at it and interpreted it through a human progressive lens. I guarantee you all these people are on the left. And they interpreted it that way. So how can we trust them on the science of climate? On the science of transgenderism? On the science of anything that transcends, pervades, or connects with left-wing thought? Where they're going to go through and look through their left-wing lens to decide. There is a story out. It is unrelated and related all at the same time. Distrust in political media and business leaders sweeps the globe. People don't think the media or business leaders are telling them the truth, and the suspicion of multiple societal institutions is pushing people into smaller, more insular circles of trust. Government leaders and journalists are considered the least trustworthy societal leaders, according to Edelman's new 2022 Global Trust Barometer, a survey of 35,000 respondents across 28 countries. Now, we can add the scientists to it who will tell you that, yes, if a boy decides he's a girl, then my goodness, yes, he is. And suddenly, miraculously, his XY chromosomes become XX. And he's no longer competitive. All the competitive advantages go away because he's made the choice to decide who his real self is. None of it makes any sense. It shouldn't make any sense to you. They're literally out there doing inequality and wealth transfer studies on squirrels and chimpanzees because politics has infested so much. Worldview is a big thing. And the left has embraced intersectional crazy and now finds it in the animal kingdom. But this is the bottom line point you got to understand. If it is natural, if we find this sort of thing in the animal kingdom, then how can it be bad for human beings who they believe are animals to do exactly what all the animals do unless there's a moral code that we live by that those animals don't live by? And if that's the case, where does that moral code come from? I can give you the answer. They can't. I can also recommend for you something. Patriot Mobile, a conservative Christian organization that wants to do business with you. They want to be your cell phone provider. Patriot Mobile, they are good people, and they give you discounts if you're an NRA member, if you are a uh, veteran, a first responder, if you're a teacher. They give all sorts of discounts. If you've got a large family, you need a lot of phone lines, they'll give you discounts for that too. They're great, and they use a portion of their profits to advance the conservative movement. And with my name, you get free activation. What you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you could call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation and talk to them about the discounts. They have so many different discounts. They're good people, good company. They get great coverage. They use the same cell towers everybody else use, and they want you as a customer. And with you, they will fight for the conservative movement. 972-PATRIOT or patriotmobile.com slash Eric.
At First Liberty Building and Loan Nationwide, they can help your business grow. If you need loans for your business, we're talking large ones, six figures and up, 500000 or more. You can call them, get their contact info at their website, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. Just spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a fit for you, you for them. Firstlibertyga.com is their website, firstlibertyga.com. Really good people. Y'all, um, a buddy of mine actually sent me a note during commercial break on the, the, the this this flippant animal stuff. And it's flippant, but they're serious. But isn't it notable, he said, in even the animal kingdom, that the animals that get a leg up live cooperating in a family structure? It's reflected with us as well. At a time, the New York Times is encouraging, or it's saying moms who abandon their kids should get respect. And the San Francisco Chronicle is saying that you should give up your kids to the state. That it's actually the kids who do best are the ones who have a mother and a father. And instead of screaming about privilege, because some kids do, and saying that they need to be put at some sort of advantage or disadvantage so that others can get a leg up in society, we need to be preaching the gospel of putting your family together, of having a mother and father. That when we as a society have degraded it, even in the animal kingdom, it's reflected this way. Having a mother and a father in the animal kingdom who support you, we're somehow now talking about how it's privilege and intergenerational wealth transfer that puts other animals at a competitive disadvantage. No. If in the animal kingdom, if they you believe in Darwinianism, it's survival of the fittest. And it turns out the fittest in the animal kingdom are those who have parental units involved. Maybe we should be more like that instead of devaluing mothers and fathers. You know, in China, they're having a real problem in these regards in that the birth rate there is the lowest it has ever been. They are having a real hard time building new families in China. It is becoming an actual real demographic crisis in China. They have peaked in population. And the United States is one of the few countries left that is still breaking even on birth rate. So we're still pipelining, although we're, we're not in good shape here. Uh, my buddy Jonathan Last, he's now over the Bulwark for years. He was at the Weekly Standard, wrote a great book on what to expect when no one's expecting is what it was called. On uh, the population crisis around the world, as people stop having babies, it becomes an irreversible trend in every country it's happened. And we're frankly at that point in this country. China is way past us, though. Uh, and we should be having more children in this country, and frankly, we should be having loving families for those kids. And everyone can complain about it being a privilege and intergenerational wealth and the like, but uh, happy families build happy societies and stable societies along the way, even as the left somehow treats that everything good they treat bad and everything bad they treat good. It's what they do, but we shouldn't give in to it. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. 
They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 